got a beard and it's looking something fierce Having beers with my peers and talking rap careers Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music biz Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain With people who learned how to face it and be sane Sipping on a brew, doing interviews No topics off the table but we focus on breakthroughs So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check You're listening to bruise beards and shipwrecks One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, royal ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the bruise, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, royal ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the bruise, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear Welcome to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. This is Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay of Royal Ruckus. And I'm here with my good friend, Father Andrew Stephen Damick. Hello. How are you, Father Andrew? I'm exhausted, but good. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you so exhausted? Uh, because we are currently on the 14th floor of the Diplomat Hotel and Resort, which I think this is my first time at a resort. Uh, nice. Because it's the very end of the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America National <laughs> Convention. <laughs> so we've been here all week. Yeah, right, exactly. So by the time we get to the end, we're like, how are you? I'm exhausted and ready to go home. But it's yeah. been good. So I'm exhausted, but good. It's, it's been a fun week. What, what are some of the highlights for you? Uh, for me, the biggest thing at the convention is really just connecting with people that I haven't seen in a while mostly and making new friendships, new contacts. And yeah. um, this time around, I had the opportunity to uh, you know, do a little communication, um, give a couple of talks during our General Assembly, and I have another one later today. Um, so, so that's been my kind of involvement uh, with, with the convention this week. Yeah, yeah. How'd you end up um, speaking so much at the, at the convention? I, there's not a lot of speaking slots. No, not, not this one. Um, so, I, you know, the, <laughs> I don't know, actually. But um, I got asked, I think it was maybe a month and a half, two months ago, I got asked to do a talk uh, for the young adult ministry that's okay. meeting at this. And um, so I started working on that talk and the talk itself, I'm actually giving that later today. The talk itself yeah. is about 45 minutes and then hopefully some Q&A. Um, and then literally last week I got requested to do two short talks during our general assembly. And so I kind of scrambled to put something together <laughs> for that. Um, and, uh, and I'll be honest, you know, the first, for, especially the first time around, when they asked me to do it, I initially tried to refuse. Really? Uh, yeah, I actually said, you know, I I don't think I'm the guy. And uh, I don't know how far my response filtered back, but what came back to me was, you're the guy. Yeah. So uh, you're going to be doing this. And so so I, I started working on it. And, and actually, you know, I, I, I probably shouldn't have complained too much uh, because I'm, I'm actually really pleased with what I produced. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be received well today. And we'll get some good conversation and stuff. So then, when last week I got that other phone call saying, "Hey, you're doing two more," uh, I, <laughs> I, I actually didn't try to refuse at that time. Uh, I just was a little incredulous. But yeah. then the voice on the other end of the phone said, "You can do this. You'll be fine." <laughs> and then, you know, sort of, look, you're going to do this, so you'll be fine. Uh, but no, thank God, it was good. And, and those, you know, I already delivered those la over the last couple of days, and they're received very well. I think um, some good engagement with the thoughts that I had to share. So, well, in, in a context like this, it's not like you had a lot of choice, though, right? I mean, it was put on your plate. 
and yeah I mean when when you know especially for uh, an Orthodox priest when the bishop says this is what you're gonna do then that is the thing you're gonna do yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you know in some ways it's like being in the military you know it's a, sure it's an order so you, yeah. you you do it and you know honestly I knew that's what I was signing up for when I was ordained so okay it goes goes, yeah. goes with the deal that's great so before we get too far into that because um, not everybody listening to this necessarily knows what an Orthodox priest is and stuff. I have a million dollar question for you. Okay. What's your deal? What is my deal? <laughs> <laughs> my deal <clears throat> is that I am, first of all, an Orthodox Christian, meaning that I belong to the Orthodox Church, and I'm trying to, uh, if possible, become a saint within that, which is what we're all supposed to be doing. High aspirations. Uh, yeah, right. No, I mean, that is that is the aspiration we're all supposed to have in the Orthodox Church, is to try to become as holy as possible because we love God and really want to be closer to Him, to be more intimate with Him, to be in communion with Him. So number one, I'm an Orthodox Christian, and number two, I am a husband. Um, I'm, I've been married now for almost 14 years to my wife, Nicole. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, number three, I'm a father. I have four kids, uh, ages ten to f- ten years to four months. Mm. A girl and three boys. That's great. Uh, and then after that, I am an Orthodox priest, which means my job is to help lead worship uh, in um, in the Orthodox Church, and uh, and I also happen to be a pastor, meaning that I'm assigned to a particular parish and okay. I'm, and I'm in charge of, of that parish. Yeah. And then. After that, then I also am an author and a speaker. Um, so that's kind of my deal in, in the order of my, yeah. my various roles. But I, I do very, very self-consciously put them in that order because sure. that's, that's really the way I'm trying to live. I don't always succeed, but um, right. that's, that's, that's basically my deal. I'm, I'm glad you made a distinction, too, um, in your roles as pastor and priest because sometimes... Uh, I've encountered people outside of our faith who are confused about it. Like, oh, wait, you have a you have a priest, not a pastor. And no, no, actually, um, it's it's both and. So, do you want to talk a little bit more? Yeah, about right. That? So, not all priests are pastors right. in the Orthodox Church. Um, generally, though, I think all pastors are priests at least, yeah, or maybe yeah. even be bishop, although not usually. Sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, a priest. It really, it's really actually my. Um, my ordination is to the to the role of presbyter, which means elder. Um, okay. Priest is kind of a shorthand of sorts that grew up over time to be used also to refer to presbyters, um, with a lot of that wonderful Old Testament imagery of the priesthood kind of being imported. Um, but um, so a given a given church might actually have multiple priests, multiple presbyters potentially. Right. One of them is assigned as the actual pastor, so he's the guy that's actually in charge. Sure. Um, so. You know that's that's my role. I, I um, when I after I was first ordained, actually, I was I was a priest even while I was in seminary. So I wasn't in charge of anything other than completing my education. Uh, and and yeah, right, yeah, exactly. That's kind of important. And then and then when I graduated, I was assigned as the assistant pastor at okay. a large church in West Virginia, uh, St. George Cathedral in Charleston. And so I wasn't the pastor. I was just right. the assistant pastor, right. uh, which is a very different role, actually. Um, sure. And then and then I became pastor in 2009 of St. Paul Church in uh, in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. So, so pastor is a, a specific leadership role, um, you know, with regards to a, a parish church. And then, and then presbyter or priest refers to what the person is ordained for. And largely, that's about leading worship. 
uh, although priests have other kinds of roles that they can right. do too. But but standing at the altar and leading worship is what the priesthood is really about. So a pastor means you have it all together, and a priest means you do magic. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, exactly. no, no, no. Because yeah. I think that's a perception. Yeah, right. People think that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I still remember there was a time, you know, when... Um, and I tell this story a lot, actually. I won't tell the whole thing, but okay. but there was one time that I was at a coffee house, and you know, I went in wearing my cassock. Uh, you know, I, I wear a long black, basically looks like a dress almost, uh, uh, most of the time. And so I would go to this one coffee house and I wear my cassock. And actually, the young woman behind the counter, the barista, asked me at one point, "Do you do exorcisms?" Mm. And so, like for her, yeah. clearly, there's something about what I, the way I was dressed <laughs> that just sort of conveyed, like I sort of command supernatural power in some right. way. That's right. not really exactly what the priesthood is sure. it's not about doing magic um, but it's really about standing in front of the altar and calling upon God to do the the real work you know of, of making the transcendent God actually present in the moment yeah. and doing something um, you know in the divine liturgy it's about changing bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ um, but that that invocation that calling upon does lots of other things too forgiving sins uh, healing people you know that's that's all of what's going on so really it's about you know calling on God please come and do this now mm -hmm. you know God is free like I'm not a magician I can't control okay. him that's, a, that's an yeah. important yeah yeah thing. that's what that's the difference between magic really and and the priesthood is magic is about sort of controlling elemental forces and making effects happen by doing the right thing the priesthood isn't about that. It's really an invitation to God to come and fulfill the promises that he gave and said, okay, look, I'm going to do this when you do that. Yeah. So we're like, okay, well, we'll do that then. And please come do that, Lord. You know, so that's, that's the difference. We're not, we're not magicians. Um, I can't make things happen. Um, I remember the dean of my seminary one time told us, he said, you know, those of you who are going to be ordained, uh, you will not be given power. You're giving, you're being given authority. Mm, God yeah. has power. You don't. Right. You don't have power. Right, you know there is no magical power uh, in the hands of a priest. Yeah, yeah. What one of our um, theologians in the Orthodox Church, Father Alexander Schmemann, if I remember correctly, um, talks about the original calling of humanity as being priesthood. Yeah, right. Christ. Yeah, so everybody's a priest from the Orthodox point. And every every baptized Christian right. is a priest from the Orthodox point of view. Okay. We call this the royal priesthood. Sure. And there's language like that in Scripture. Uh, also, the the, no, the notion of a holy nation. Yeah. So, if we're all priests, then actually that means that we're all supposed to be offering up that sacrifice. That we're all supposed to be making that invocation, right? And so that's actually why, one of the reasons why it's a little. It takes a little explanation to say, well, okay, yes, I am a priest, but actually, all baptized Christians are priests. Right. What I am that actually makes me a little bit different is that I'm a presbyter. So yeah. I'm an elder among. The whole royal priesthood. Sure. So my job is to stand at front and say, "Everybody this way," right? <laughs> you know, everybody come on this way. Um, so like we have that. a strong sense that 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 the whole people of God are there accomplishing something together. It's not an individualistic act that some magical dude in a robe up front can do, <laughs> right. that kind of by himself, you know, because he has special powers, right? I'm not. I don't have right. powers. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the praying assembly is a thing that is different from just an individual person, uh, you know, asking God for something. I, I, I do believe that the individual person has a kind of, has a, a priestly role for sure. Yeah. But really there's something about everybody together that's different. Yeah. You know? uh, so that, that, that there's a, there's, that God blesses that in a way that he doesn't bless 
uh, an individual prayer. I mean, he blesses individual prayer, but it's a different kind of blessing than, than the blessing sure. he gives to everybody praying and invoking and, you know, acting out, you know, en- enacting their priesthood together. Right. I think that's a pretty exciting teaching, and I think it, it escapes a lot of us. We, we don't catch that. Yeah, we live in a super individualistic society. Yeah. And so it's really, we tend to all each be on our own quests to find our own authentic, true selves. And yeah. so it's like, well, what's, what's, you know, as you said, what's your deal? What's my deal? <laughs> what's my deal? What's my quest? What's my yeah. life about? And I think those are important questions and we should ask them and try to figure out the answers. But at the same time, hopefully the answers are going to, in some ways at least, light upon the reality that my deal, my life, only makes sense actually in the light of all of these other lives, these, all these other roles. So like I listed off, you know, I said, I'm an Orthodox Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a priest, I'm a pastor, I'm an author, I'm a speaker. Everything, every single one of those tasks, if you will, is actually about a relationship. Okay, yeah. I say I'm an right. Orthodox Christian, that means I try to have a relationship with God. I'm sure. a husband, I have... A wife. I'm a father. I have kids. You know, it goes on. So it really is about a, a role within a community. Yeah. Uh, it's not about an individual accomplishment, um, or or really even about my own grand quest to find myself. Um, or if it is about that quest, then it's finding myself in the community. Right. You know, this is who I am among these people. Um, right. You know, within right. this this communal life. Can Can you comment on that? In uh, let me let me give you a particular example from my own life. When I was converting to orthodoxy, I was living about 80 to 100 miles, depending on which route you took, from church. Um, wow. I was in Hawaii. It was beautiful. Um, you know, God is everywhere, and you see his, his handiwork everywhere. But I remember one of my friends going, wow, you drive all the way to Kona every week? Can't you just pray right now? Yeah. And of course, the answer is yes, I can pray right now. Yeah, of course. But what, what's the difference between that and this relational uh, way of looking at things that you're talking about. Yeah, so, you know, as human beings, we were created to be in communion with each other. God made us that way. And that gets expressed in all kinds of ways uh, in human life. Like, we have this drive to uh, to get married and have children. It's a right. drive. It's a very deep drive yeah. that actually can throw you careening off the edge of a cliff sometimes uh, into all kinds of stuff. Really? Uh, All kinds of crazy stuff. Um, But we also have a drive to form friendships. Yeah. You know, and and this is so normal and kind of understood as being part of what it means to be human that when someone cuts themselves off, that's regarded as as off at the very least. Sure. Um, And, you know, and people suffer from loneliness, right? So, um, so that's part of what's going on, but it's really not just a kind of a social or a biological urge that I'm talking about. Yeah. But what that does is it actually feeds into the same things that those social desires also feed into or come from, yeah. which is that man is made to be in communion, that yeah. we're not really complete without each other. Now, that doesn't mean we want to become codependent, right? but right. we are interdependent. You know, yeah. codependent, of course, like this, is, this is psychological language, but codependent is an unhealthy attachment where you you need other people or another person so much that it, it really messes with you, you know, right. when they don't act in the way you want them to. Yeah. Uh, interdependent is a sense of there is a, a sort of a commerce between us, a give and take, um, a connection, a communion, 
and we be together become something greater than we are individually. Yeah. Uh, and even that individually, I'm actually not really whole. Yeah. Uh, you know. So so that's part of what's going on, and and God created us what created us this way. So when He instituted human worship, He instituted it as a communal act, as a communal right. act. So like in the Orthodox Church, I literally cannot do. You know, the prime and central worship service of our church is the Divine Liturgy. I may not do that alone. Right. I, I, I can't, you know. And, and actually, uh, physically trying to make all those things happen is pretty impossible, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's by design. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, there is something going on differently than when someone is by themselves. Now, if you're standing on the beach in Hawaii and, you know, the sun is rising and you're like, wow. I feel God here right now. Like that's real. Yeah, that's yeah. totally real. You know, you might well be having a kind of a divine experience on some level, yeah. but that is not the same thing as the church gathering together and invoking the Holy Spirit over bread and wine, asking that God to make them into the body and blood of Christ, receiving yeah. them together, and that binding everybody together in that act of mystical communion. Yeah, it's just not the same thing. Right. It's not saying that standing on the beach and sort of having an emotional experience or even maybe some kind of divine experience, some kind of mystical whatever, yeah. is invalid or not real. But it's not the same thing. Right. You know, so... so um, even sociologically, there's something to building a community around ritual and commonality, common beliefs, common focus. Right. Yeah. And, and, and having other people there actually kind of bears you up. Right. You know, so I find it's actually easier for me. It's actually easier for me to pray in that liturgical context with other people than it is for me to, to try to keep up a prayer rule on my own. Sure. It's it's easier because everybody else is sort of helping me. Yeah. And I'm theoretically a religious professional. <laughs> like I should really be really good at doing this on my yeah. own. Yeah. I'm actually, you know, really it's much it's a much bigger struggle. Yeah. You know, so so there is something there is a power that that God grants uh, that comes of, of everyone doing yeah. doing something together, and it's it's primal, like it's deep deep down in our our, our oh, DNA, yeah. I think. You know, so it's who yeah. we are as humans. Right. So you didn't become a priest overnight, obviously. Uh, can you take me back? To, you know, we were talking about Hawaii. Can you take me back to your childhood and uh, the, the formative years? That give me a little insight into little Father Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I did go to Hawaii once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent, uh, I don't remember how long it was. Um, we were there for just a couple of days. We were on our way to Guam. Okay. And um, it was our first trip out there, my whole family, my father, mother, my sister, my brother. I'm a middle child of three. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, with all that that means. Uh, and and um, my parents at the time were... Um, missionaries, evangelical Protestant missionaries, and we had just finished raising all the support that we needed from various churches okay. um, who were giving monthly towards our livelihood. And so we were on our way to Guam, which is where, where we had been assigned. And um, there's a, a, a radio site there. My, my parents belonged to a, a missionary radio organization, so okay. that's why we were, on, we were going to Guam. And so on our way uh, out the first time, I remember we stopped in Anaheim, California, okay. to go to Disneyland. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> we went to Disneyland, Good and choice. yeah, yeah, right. My one and only time I've ever been to Disneyland, and uh, and then we stopped in Hawaii as well on the way and spent a few days there. 
Um, I remember when we got off the plane in Hawaii, the first thing that I thought of and that I detected was the smell of rotting vegetation. Mm. And that's, and you know, which everyone who's not used to that, they get off the plane and they're like, there's this smell. Right. And eventually you just, after several days, you, you're not even aware of it anymore. Okay. But I remember smelling that and then, and then we got to Guam and I was like, okay, so this is what tropical life is about, <laughs> is rotting vegetation. Uh, wow. You know, it's just that smell. It's a very I don't know if I can think earthy. Yeah, yeah, it's a very earthy. I guess I got used to smell. It. Yeah, you <laughs> totally get used to it. After a few days, it's gone. Um, and I remember, yeah. There, so that was one little sort of culture shock. It was a clum, you know a sort of um, a climatic culture shock of sorts. Right. Um, and and I remember, <laughs> I remember um, when we went on furlough. So we spent three years on Guam, and then we came back to the U.S. Uh, for three months to okay. visit people, to visit our family, to visit churches that we're supporting and stuff. So it was called a furlough. Yeah. I remember when we came back on furlough and we landed in the airport in Detroit. Uh, I was maybe, um, I was 13 at the time or almost 13. Okay. And um, we got off the plane and we started walking through the airport and I, I said to my, my parents, I said, look at all the white people. <laughs> because on Guam, most everybody's brown because right, they're Pacific right. Islanders, and yeah. uh, you know I'm 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 as white as they come. But um, you know, but it would just struck me. It was another culture shock. Like, huh, man, white people. You know, <laughs> like there were of course other white people on Guam, but we were the minority. Yeah, minority. Yeah. So yeah, so you know, when I was in my youngest years, my dad was in the Navy up until I was seven years old, and occasionally went out on long uh, cruises in the Navy, and then when I turned seven. Not long after that, my parents joined up with Transworld Radio, which is uh, the Evangelical Radio okay. Missionary Organization. Yeah. And then, um, and then, in 1985, I would have been 10 years old almost. We moved to Guam um, and lived there for five years, not including that furlough. And then came back to the U.S. <clears throat> because my mother's health couldn't handle being on a super mm. humid, hot island anymore. Okay. And uh, we came back to the U.S. and spent a few years in Ohio, where I finished out high school. And then, um, uh, and then we moved, three weeks after I graduated from high school, we moved to North Carolina. Okay. And my parents started working at the, the headquarters for the mission. And, um, with, and a year later, I went to North Carolina State. And while I was there at NC State, I encountered the Orthodox Church and um, realized that that's what I needed to be in. Okay. Um, and it's kind of a long story how that happened, but um, uh, so I was 22 when I became Orthodox. Very different kind of way of worshiping, very different doctrines in many ways from the evangelicalism I was raised with. I remember there was a moment when um, I was in the process of becoming Orthodox, and my 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 dad asked me, um, "So, do you still believe that Jesus is God?" And I was like, "Yeah." Uh, do you still believe that he's the only one who can save you? And I said, yes. Do you still believe in what the Bible says? I'm like, yeah. You know, and, and right. so there was a kind of, um, at least that was maybe his way of processing some sure. of what was happening. Like, okay, these things that are this most important to me and have always been most important to our family, do you still believe that? Right. And and in, in, in almost every case, I was able to say yes. Now, in some ways, I believe them in a different way than my okay. family has. Right. Like, do I believe that Jesus is the only one who can save me? Well, what is salvation? That's a big, you know, that's a big question. Right. Um, you know, orthodoxy looks at that differently than evangelicalism right. tends to. 
so, but yeah, so that was part of the process. And I mean, I was 22, so I mean, I was still just kind of a, sure. a big kid, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. So, but was there was there like a crisis of faith or anything, or were you disillusioned with? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess your you know your your show has the word shipwrecks. Shipwrecks plural. Yeah. Yes. Br- Bruise, beards, and shipwrecks. Yes. Yeah. That's it. So it's about pirates. It's about uh, pirates. Uh, <laughs> that's what I thought of when I heard that. I was like, okay, so beer and beards. I need, I need to get a pirate logo. Shipwrecks. You should them. have some kind of pirate logo. An eye patch. You know. Oh, Which. Be a nice why touch. is it that eye patches say pirates to people? They just do. Uh, they don't just say they don't say eye injury for some reason. They say pirate. That is the only time I ever had an eye patch. I had an eye yeah. injury. Yeah, right. But you weren't a pirate. <laughs> I was not a pirate. See, I think eye patches are actually <laughs> way more common for eye injuries than they are for pirates. But maybe pirates have a higher percentage of eye injuries. Yeah, maybe they get person. stuck. You know, with there's all those sabers and stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, crisis of faith. Okay. So I think a lot of you know I was raised to be Christian. Good. Right? And, right. And not in a like not in a domineering way. It was just really our family identity. Sure. Uh, and um, especially with my family being missionaries from when I was pretty young, that um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty intense um, yeah, environment, right? Yeah, right. So, well, I mean, intense might not be the right word, but it... thoroughgoing. Like this is yeah, who this exactly. is who we are. Exactly. It's just who we are. Our whole deal to you reuse that word. Our whole <laughs> deal is to be Christians. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say whether we were the best Christians ever, but you know, we were really working at it, and and you know, we were on board, totally on board, no question. Um, but like many kids raised as Christian, there comes a point in the teen years or maybe the early adult years where that connection, that commitment loosens up a bit. Yeah. And, uh, the identity you've been handed by your parents, you start to ask questions about, is this really my identity? Right. Right. And I I wouldn't say that I went through a point where I said, you know what? I'm not Christian or I, I don't know that I want to be Christian right. or I, I don't I don't I don't really think I went through a stage like that but there certainly was a, a, a several years where my sense of commitment to it really began to flag yeah and the way that that manifested itself is um, you know at the time I was working as a stagehand um, and so, you know, I would often be offered work on Sunday morning and it would used to be from the be- at the beginning, I would be like, no, I don't work on Sunday morning. Yeah. I go to church. Yeah. But then it's eventually it's like, well, if I work on Sunday morning, I'm going to get 70, $80. I could sure use 70 or $80, you know? Right. And yeah. so I started working, uh, not every Sunday, but you know, every so often, maybe once or twice a month. And, um, uh, and then also, um, you know, I became more inconsistent at other kinds of church activities that I was in. Um, and, um, you know, I, and part of it was that if you had asked me, I don't think anyone actually asked me at the time, like, why are you not so commit- committed anymore? Yeah. You know, but I think if someone had asked me, and this was a thought that I was thinking, uh, why are you not doing this as consistently as you used to, uh, you know, when you were you know, a teenager or younger? Yeah. What I would have said is, you know, from my theological viewpoint at the time, I had been saved. Mm, right. And in our theological world, we believed in what they call once saved, always saved, which means that uh, when you make a decision, a true commitment to Jesus Christ, uh, and to use the language of, of, of that world, ask him into your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your right. sins, to take you to heaven when you die. When that happens and it's done sincerely, then you pretty much have a guaranteed ticket to, to heaven. Right. To the good afterlife rather than the bad one. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You know, rather than what Hamlet calls the other place. Right. Um, you know, so, um, uh, so I believed that, right? Well, that created an existential problem for me as I got older. Yeah. Like just sort of having that assurance of I get to go to heaven my, when I die was not enough to motivate me to want to be continually involved in religious activity. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Because the logic is like, well, it doesn't kind of really matter what I do from now on because I got my ticket. Right. You know, I, I don't... Like, okay, it's a good idea for me. Like, maybe I, I need to try to get some other people on board. You know, I, I need to recruit some <laughs> right. more. to get to, recruitment offer. Yeah, right, exactly. So, so you know, there is this... this when, when salvation is a done deal then what does Christian life look like? That's kind of a problem, sure. right? You know, now there's, you know, certainly lots and lots of people who believe in that theology are good, consistent, solid churchgoers oh, and course. whatever, yeah. and yeah. they're really engaged. But, you know, it, I was asking the question like, well, really, why should I be? And I remember there was one time I had a conversation with my mother kind of about this. And she actually said to me, she said, I don't need church. I don't, now, I, hmm. I imagine there was probably not a Sunday in her life unless she was ill. <laughs> right. That she ever missed it. Right. Yeah. And that there was not a day that went by that she was not engaged in authentic, serious prayer with God, reading her the scripture every right. day. Right. But she said, you know, I don't have to have it. And from, a, from that theological point of view, that makes sense it makes sense right. right right so so i was kind of going through that and i was essentially going through my well i'm saved so what now thing because i had been saved from my point of view when i was a kid little kid yeah you know i'm yeah. i had a moment i remember very clearly actually where i prayed god save me you know and um i want to be a christian i want to go to heaven when i die um and so then the question of what do you do next, you know, so so I had that as a kind of existential crisis of faith. You know, that was my shipwreck, and so to speak, that actually right. then yeah. enabled me to be open to uh, seeing something else. Right. Yeah. And another side of what happened was that, um, you know, I was raised going to kind of down home, old school Baptist and independent mm -hmm. Bible churches where. You come in, the pastor welcomes you, uh, you know, there might be announcements, you sing three songs, there's a 45 minute to an hour long sermon, and then one more song and maybe an altar call. That's sort of the Baptist liturgy. That sounds exactly <laughs> like how I grew up. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And usually that very last one was, just as I yeah, am, that's what, that's what just we as I just am, as which I has am. like 12 or thousand verses or whatever it is in, you know in our church depending on the response would determine how many verses we yeah use. right right you know not enough people are coming up so we better pray some, you know six yeah, more verses exactly yeah right so so um so that's what i was raised with but then when i got into college we moved into the beginnings of a mega church okay and so this was in the early and mid 90s Mega churches weren't quite as much of a thing yeah. uh, at the time as they are now. They weren't as much of a, quite frankly, a sort of a spectacular experience as they are now. Yeah. 
Um, that, that's when my church discovered rock and roll. Yeah, right. Then exactly. We, then we had the traditional service, and yeah, so that's and what a lot of the old school the churches blended would, contemporary. Yeah. Service. we never made the full mega church commitment. Yeah, a lot of the old school churches, that's what they do, and a lot of them are still kind of struggling like that. Like, like yeah. that. You know, early you have the traditional service, and then yeah. later the contemporary service. Right. Yeah, um, I think the church I grew up in is still doing it that way. Oh, really? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, the sort of hybrid approach. Um, and and so, but we went to. I mean, it met in a high school auditorium. Okay. And they were. They had. You know, this group had decided they're going to do the whole seeker sensitive movement thing, okay. and they actually created this sort of demographic model. Yeah. Of a uh, of a theoretical couple that lived in the area. This was the couple and their family that they were sort of aiming at, and so then they designed oh, yeah. the whole church based around this sort of simulacrum couple uh, we lived in the triangle area the research triangle of north carolina and so actually they had a name for this couple it was triangle tim and tina <laughs> i love it triangle <laughs> tim and tina real real thing oh yeah i am not making this up uh and 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 so you know um uh the kinds of things that triangle tim and tina liked the kinds of things that their kids were into whatever that was what this whole church was built around yeah and so, you know, they were definitely doing the, um, the very contemporary style music up on a stage with microphones yeah. and lighting and all that kind of stuff. Well, at the same time, I was working as a stagehand and I was doing concerts, well, especially in the summer. And I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk about your time as a stagehand. Okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Set that aside over here. Yeah. My other job where we're all black all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Still wearing the same clothes. Just have a big black dress to go with it, um, and and um, so I uh, I knew how to do all that, like yeah. I knew how it worked. Right. And so there was actually a moment where I was in church on Sunday morning. You know, the band was playing, mm -hmm. the drums, the singing, the lights, all that kind of stuff, and I had a very distinct man behind the curtain moment. You know, so, you know, like that scene in The Wizard of Oz where I think it's Toto. You know, this is the movie version. Uh, Toto pulls aside the curtain and, you know, they've been seeing this amazing uh, image of the great and powerful Oz, his head, you know, and yeah. then fire spurting out of things, whatever. And then Toto pulls behind the curtain and there's this little old man back there pulling levers and stuff. And that's the man behind the curtain. Yeah. And then the voice says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Well, the problem is I was the man behind the curtain. Yeah. yeah. I knew how to do that stuff. Yeah. And it struck me. I was like, you know what? This is actually really similar to the show that I put on in my job. And I, I mean, I never have doubted the sincerity of the people who are in that. Oh, like, I don't think yeah. they're trying to, like, they're not trying to put on something fake. Um, but... You know, it's like knowing how the magic works on a certain level. Um, yeah. And um, and that I became sort of disillusioned, um, mm -hmm. and, which is kind of an interesting word. I mean, does it suggest I was illusioned before? Maybe. I don't know. I don't right. know. I will, right. you know, let the reader understand. Um, yeah. But but um, uh, so I, I was standing there. And actually, I remember there was one point. The, the one point where I really came to a head was on a Sunday morning. Um, instead of the usual sort of um, contemporary Christian song, they suddenly started singing Lean On Me. Like, lean on me when you're... Not, you know, that song. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a great sentiment. Sure. But, like, this has literally now become exactly like my job. Right, right. 
You know, it's all about conveying an emotion, having an emotional experience, you know. And and so then that also kind of laid some of the groundwork for me to kind of go, you know, I'm just not sure about this. You know, and at the same time, I was getting into reading a lot more English literature. I had always been into it when I was in high school, but when I got to college, I started as a communication major. Yeah. But I took a couple of literature classes as sort of basic education requirements, and I was like, man, I need to get back into this stuff. And so I actually yeah. became an English major. Uh, and one of the things that I read was um, John Keats's Ode in a Grecian Urn, which is one of those things you just cannot get away from reading if you're reading English literature and you're doing some kind of survey, right? Okay. Survey course, which is what I was doing. Um, and so there's one point in Ode in a Grecian Urn where he says, um, beauty is truth and truth beauty and that is all you ever need to know. Yeah. And, um, and so when I read that, I thought, yeah, actually. Beauty and truth are intimately connected to each other. Yeah. So I believe the things that are being preached at my church on Sunday are true. But it's hard for me to see the worship I'm doing is beautiful. Like it was fun. Yeah. Right. It was a great experience. Yeah. But beautiful, like in the sense of a timeless, powerful, divine beauty. No, not really. Right. You know, definitely a strong emotional experience. Yeah. Uh, people were having, and it was, you know, authentic in its way, but um, but not not that beauty, beauty, right? Yeah. Um, so um, that unmoored me from my attachment uh, to that world. Yeah. And, um, and I began to... Um, intellectually and emotionally and spiritually drift. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I was on this powerful quest to find out the truth, but but uh, I mean, that came kind of later. But um, at the time, you know, uh, there was just these several sort of events and that, that happened to kind of remove various layers where uh, I just said, I'm just, I'm just not that anymore. I still went every so often. I still would go to a Wednesday night Bible study. I remember that was for college age kids. And I remember there was one time where Everybody's, you know, giving their um, their prayers and their praises, right? So anyone even right. in the evangelical world would know what I'm talking about. You know, prayer request. This is a prayer. In other words, something bad I, I need help with, sure. or a praise. Something good has happened. I want to say thank you, God. You yeah. know, um, yeah. right? So, so and Can't and the unspoken and the unspoken. Yeah, I have an unspoken <laughs> request. So pray for me, but I'm not going to say what it is. Uh, which I mean, that's a thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, right. So um, I just love that it has the term. Yeah, it's got a term. Yeah. Like it's yeah, an unspoken. I have an unspoken. Uh, yeah, it is a noun. Yeah, uh, and so um, in the in the course of that, actually, one time I said, you know, I I'm trying to ponder what beauty is from a theological point of view, a Christian point of view, and I don't know exactly what it is, and I think I need to go find something. Yeah, and I remember everyone just looking at me like, what? You know, and it's. I didn't know how to explain it to them because I didn't understand it myself. Sure. Um, but, um, so so that would be kind of my shipwreck in a sense. Hey, love, Bo, aren't you shipwreck? Hey, love, Bo, aren't you shipwreck? Hey, love, Bo, I'm walking in the club like, um, excuse me, not you shipwreck. Hey, love, Bo, not you shipwreck. Hey, love, Bo, not you shipwreck. Hey, love, Bo, I'm walking in the club like,
drifted up to me in the middle of the waves um, was a friend of mine from my uh, missionary kid days who was a grad student at NC State at the time that I was an undergrad. Um, I had a nice long undergraduate career. <laughs> career. <laughs> career. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. seven. The seven year plan? Seven years with a semester off when I ran out of money. Um, <laughs> and um, we had this conversation over lunch and um, at an Italian restaurant that's no longer there. And um, he says that he's going to become Catholic. And uh, I said, well, why? Why would you do that? And, um, and he starts telling me, actually, it was actually, now that I think back on it, it wasn't so much about a love for the Catholic Church as it was he had all these criticisms of Protestantism mm, right. that we were both raised in. Right. I mean, I'd known this guy since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and um, and I realized as he was saying them, he was articulating things that I was thinking. And I was okay. like, oh, yeah. okay, yes, all right, yep, yep. And in the course of that conversation, the Orthodox Church got mentioned. And to this day, I do not remember if it was him or sure. me. But I do remember it stuck in my head. And so I went back to the school computer lab and sat down at one of the old HP UX machines. <laughs> it was a Unix machine yeah. made by HP, Hewlett Packard. And I pulled up uh, Netscape. Nice. Because this was yeah. 1997, baby. Uh, I pulled up Netscape and I fired up Alta Vista. Perfect. Because there was no Google. Uh, and I looked up the Orthodox Church. You, you and hit search and then you waited. You wait. 20 minutes. Go, get a, go get a coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very nice. No, we had an actual T1 line or whatever there. Oh, it wasn't nice. quite that bad. But um, And I started reading about Orthodoxy on the internet. And, um, you know, now I don't actually recommend that to people. Right. Because <laughs> It was probably safer back then. Yeah, it was way safer 20 years ago, actually. Most of what was on there was good information. Yeah. And most of the people who were actively talking about it knew what they were talking about. Yeah. Now it's it's not that way. You have to sift a lot more. Um, but um, it's like Mike, Michael Scott says about uh, Wikipedia. It's great because everybody can edit it. But <laughs> yeah. and it actually works for Wikipedia pretty well. Pretty well. It's actually going to be basically about as accurate as a, as, as an Encyclopedia Britannica. I think it was actually yeah. checked against that at one point. Yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah. but when you go out to the discussion groups and things, it gets a little less helpful. Yeah, right. Exactly. So um, I started reading about it online. And in those days, you could read just about everything there was about orthodoxy on the internet in the space of about three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. And um, uh, in those three weeks, I learned all kinds of things that I had never heard of before and was just sort of stunned by what I was reading. And then I wanted more. So I got into a couple of email discussion groups that were designed for Orthodox to yeah. talk to evangelicals yeah. specifically. Okay. I, cool. got, I got on there and I asked lots of questions and I even argued a little bit. And eventually there was a guy who said, hey, I can see from your email address that you live in my town. That was back in the days when your email address had something to do with where you either went right. to school or where you work. <laughs> now, you know, you wouldn't be able to know, right. uh, you know. Um, but uh, and I said, yeah, I live in, you know, I, I live in your town. And he said, would you like to come to church with me? Oh, that's cool. And I mean, I know, I didn't know the guy. Yeah. But um, I went, and it was this tiny little mission, meeting in a chapel in some Episcopal administrative building. Okay. And it had this. It was this little room. It had an altar in it, though. And it had this enormous crucifix yeah. of Jesus right behind the altar. You know, very wow. sort of classic Western. Yes, yeah, so I walk in there, and I was just, you know, I looked up and I see this crucifix, and I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and, and I saw the Divine Liturgy for the first time. I saw liturgical worship for the first time. You know, I'd seen snatches in movies of Catholic monks and stuff, but yeah. never anything like this. And I remember seeing that and having the sense that heaven met earth. Yeah. That God was somehow in that room in a way that I had never been able to sense before. Yeah. You know? And um, I didn't consciously make the decision at that moment to become Orthodox, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty much all over at that moment. Now, now we were talking last night, and isn't there some way your stagehand work, a girlfriend, and a pilgrimage got involved? Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, so. it's a few years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I be, so then, you know, fast forward. Okay, so I, I eventually visited another Orthodox church, one close to my house, and just kept going and asked the priest, so how do I... I even said to him, I remember this, in an email I said to him, I feel like, you know, the Philippian jailer coming to Paul and saying, what must I do to be saved? Mm. Like, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? I never even felt that. I didn't remember even feeling that way ever before in my life. What do I have to do? Yeah. And so he explained it to me and I, you know, became a catechumen, someone preparing to become Orthodox. And then, um, and then I was received into the church at Pascha, Easter, the Feast of the Lord's Resurrection of 1998. So okay. I'm almost 20 years old now in the Orthodox Church, <laughs> almost. And then, so fast forward then, um, a couple of years. And um, I had spent about a year and a half at that point dating an Irish Catholic girl, okay. uh, you know, in college. And it was the longest uh, dating relationship I'd ever had. And I really liked her. And I actually sure. even tried to talk to her about uh, marriage at some points. But she was... Like, you know what? I don't, you know, I don't. And, uh, and so then eventually, <laughs> right. And so then eventually, um, I remember it was actually, I remember it was St. Patrick's Day of 2001. She, uh, okay. she broke up with me. Oh. And um, which, you know, looking back was actually a very good thing. Sure. But at the time I was like, no, you know, like the end of, of what is it? Uh, Star Wars episode three, right? No, <laughs> it was awful. Is, I hated it. Is that a traditional date for Irish Catholics to? I don't know. Dump people, I, I, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, right. Yeah, we always dump people on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> no, but I remember it was St. Patrick's Day. She had been on some trip actually, and had come back, and I gave her like this little sort of icon pendant necklace, yeah. and literally she dumped me within an hour of that happening, mm. and. Uh, mm. <laughs> Can I have the necklace back? Yeah, no. no. She, didn't, she did not, in fact, give it back, uh, which is fine. And because um, what would I have done that with that, right? Give it to right, another girl. Right, yeah. You gave this to another girl. You know, um, <laughs> that belonged to your girlfriend who broke, who broke up with you. Yeah. Recycling. Yeah, right. No, yeah, you don't recycle. Um, it's just a bad scene. Um, so she broke up with me, and uh, I, you know, I had spent months imagining us spending our lives together. Yeah, yeah. And, um, um, but she apparently had not. Right. And so, um, so it was awful. And I was really super, super bummed and devastated by this. And I graduated then from college, finally, after, you know, eons in, in school, um, a few months later. And I felt, again, adrift. I had been, you know, by that point, I had been... Seriously, going to church for so Orthodox church for three years, three okay. and a half years. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, so I knew that I wanted to be Orthodox, and I and I even was was thinking about potentially seminary and priesthood at the time. Okay. And that was probably part of what ultimately scared the girl off because sure. she wasn't Orthodox even. So she kind of knew, like, if I 
you know, start riding this marriage train with this dude. Right. Like, I have to change my religion and I have to be the wife of a priest. And she was like, you know, I'm just not, not that. And so, um, which is good. I mean, because she she wasn't supposed to be that, Um, uh, you know, or whatever. God has his his path for her. Um, And so, but what kind of saved me, um, and I discovered later, actually, just to give a little bit of context to this. Yeah. Most converts at usually the three to five year mark mm-hmm. have some kind of crisis mm-hmm. that really determines whether or not they're going to really stay orthodox. Yeah, and it do, and it varies. Like it really varies. For some, they just get bored. Others, yeah. something bad happens in church. Right. Uh, you know, it's, someone mistreats them in church. Others, it's they lose their job, they lose their girlfriend. In my case, right, right. Um, you know, and 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 it kind of throws their whole life into question. And then the and then it's like, well, are they going to make it through that crisis in church or are they going to drift away from church as a result of, you know during yeah, the crisis yeah, and, and yeah it happens over and over again it's almost like clockwork three to five year, yeah. three to five years in there's usually something that happens not always but often very often yeah there's just something about human psychology I think well, I, I, I took long enough to convert that I saw this happen from with people that introduced me to orthodoxy before I even converted yeah. So I, I witnessed the cycle as I was exploring. Like, hey, I thought you were in. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Like, wait, where are you going? Yeah, yeah, right. No, totally real, totally real, actual thing. Um, and so what saved me, actually, then, in the midst of my experience of that, was the graduation gift I got from my parents. Okay. They gave me a plane ticket, a round-trip plane ticket to London. Mm. And, and I mean, I don't mean London, Ontario either. Uh, I mean the London. And um, such a great city, uh, city. London, Ontario. No, oh. <laughs> actually, I don't think I've been to that one. But um, yeah, yeah London, either. London, England, London, United Kingdom. Um, and um, uh, so I went that summer for three and a half weeks, nice. so almost a whole month. Yeah. And they basically said, "Look, we'll give you the ticket. You'll need to take care of the rest of your expenses." So I bought myself what was called a Brit Rail Pass, okay. which was a train ticket that you could take, and on on and it was good for a, so many days worth of travel. So literally, you could travel as far as you could on the on the train system anywhere you wanted in a day, and that counted as one of your days. Yeah. So I bought I don't remember how many days of travel I bought, and it was discounted because I was under twenty six years old at the time. So they were trying to encourage youth tourism in yeah. the UK, so they discounted it. Nice. And then it also so happened that uh, a friend of mine who was a professor, an English professor, always spent his summers in Notting Hill, which is you know one of the neighborhoods in London. Yeah. And he said, look, if you get over here, I will, and you can get around, I will help you while you're here with your other expenses. Oh, that's cool. You know, he's an old, older bachelor and just sort of, liked the idea of helping somebody out and so when I arrived there in London he met me at um, at Victoria Station you know very sort of yeah. iconic place right and, yeah. and um, we went to church at the Russian Cathedral in Ennismore Gardens I met Metropolitan Anthony Bloom which is still one of the most amazing moments of my that's life that's awesome yeah yeah. I've never heard that story before maybe actual saint um, yeah and um, uh, and then we got back to his place and you know I, I slept. I was a little jet lagged, whatever. Woke up in the morning. He's making breakfast, and then he says, "So where are you going?" And I, I told him, and he said, "Here's my bank card. You know, try not to take out too much." So he literally handed me his bank card and gave me his code. That's crazy. And I would just 
you know, pull out cash where wow. I was and pay for things. And then That's I remember awesome. when I got back, actually, back to London, and I told him how much I had spent, and he said, is that all? So I got so I, I thought, wow, I thought I'd spent a lot of money. I don't even remember how much it was. Right. But but I thought I'd spent a lot of money, and he was expecting more. So it worked out very awesome. perfectly. Like, really, yeah. you know, it really seemed like Providence to me. Um, I spent three and a half weeks in the UK visiting holy sites, mostly associated with Celtic and Anglo-Saxon saints. Yeah. Uh, I went to Scotland. I went to Ireland. I went to Northern England. Um, you know, I did some stuff in Southern England, stuff around London. I saw the Book of Kells in Dublin. I saw the Lindisfarne Gospels, which at the time nice. was in, in, in uh, London. I went to Iona. I went to Lindisfarne. I went to Culloden Moor, which is not a holy site, but is sort of where Scottish independence ended. Um, I went to Urquhart Castle, where St. Columba converted the Pictish uh, king up there, um, you know, and and I mean, I, I I went to Westminster Abbey and venerated the tomb of, of Saint Edward the Confessor. I, I venerated awesome. the tomb of the Venerable Bede. I venerated the tomb of yeah. Saint Cuthbert, and and Saint Aidan and Saint Oswald were actually all buried there too, um, you know. So like it was, it was incredible. Yeah. And I was traveling by myself. There were places that I went to where I stayed with someone that I knew from the internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but not everywhere. Um, so most of the time, actually, that I was traveling, uh, I was by myself. Yeah. And so, like, there was no one to talk to. I did strike up conversations with people that I met here and there, uh, but largely speaking, I had to be quiet. Mm. And and taking a month of mostly quiet. Yeah. That I didn't even like. I didn't even. Th- Think about any of that beforehand. I didn't even know that that's what it was going to be like. Um, but that pilgrimage, it was the thing that actually solidified my life in the church, really, because yeah. I had to experience holiness in basic, basically in silence. Yeah. You know, it wasn't imposed on me. Like I wasn't told I wasn't allowed to talk. But literally, yeah. most of the time, I didn't have anybody to talk to. So I was, you know, writing in my journal and you know yeah. all that kind of stuff. But you know, I couldn't even turn to someone and say, dude, that is the grave of the Venerable Bede. <laughs> there was no one to say that to. Yeah. I just walked up to it and had to be stunned. Yeah. You know? And there were multiple points where I found myself suddenly kneeling. And I was also aware of other people at those places. Yeah. Kind of looking at me like, okay, dude is kneeling. You know, but whatever. I So I was on that pilgrimage. I was an actual pilgrim and I was meeting God. Um, That's and. It was awesome, and I would dearly love to go back someday. Um, I hope I can. So that I mean that was 16 years ago now. Yeah. Um, but but that pilgrimage was a major moment in my life, and um, uh, it, it it you know I had become Orthodox, like I said, you know, a, a few years before. But yeah. But that's probably the moment that I, uh, in, in so many ways that this became really what it, yeah. my whole life was really truly about. Right. Um, it's interesting to me because I actually have a very similar story. Um, I won't tell it all, but right after I got baptized, I went to, <clears throat> I did the same thing. Three weeks even. It might have even been three and a half. I don't know. But I had, I don't think I was as thorough as you. And I <laughs> yeah, did, I had this planner. Like yeah. every day I turned the page and it told me this, you're going to take this train and you go to this place. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's me. <laughs> I, I was not that thorough. But, yeah. <laughs> but I did spend some time like in Canterbury in, in the ruins of the monastery. Oh, wow. And I didn't go there. I'd love to go there. Oh, 
it, it was incredible. And and that that moment actually Canterbury was where I sort of solidified my break with Protestantism. Hmm. And I don't mean that in a mean way. Yeah, I right. just mean walking through those ruins and being like St. Augustine of Canterbury was responsible for this being raised up and this was a glorious place and it's in ruins because of Henry VIII and his reforms. Yeah. And it and like I had been an Anglican and I had idealized a lot of a lot of the Reformation era uh, Anglicanism. And I I was I remember being sad. Yeah, right. Through there. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's um, that's one of the things that strikes me about uh, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, which actually incidentally today <laughs> is the anniversary of the release of The Fellowship of the Ring. Really? Actually, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, today, the day we're recording this. Um, there is this sense as they as the Hobbits and, um, you know, Aragorn, sorry for people who aren't Tolkien fans out there. But, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, as, as the Hobbits and Aragorn and so forth, they're traveling different places, and especially in the, in the through the eyes of Aragorn, you have this sense of loss. They yeah. go to these ruins and stuff and says, you know, here was... The, like the, for me, one of the key moments is when they get to uh, what they call Weathertop, and he says, "Here was the great watchtower of Amonsul," and for him, it's the mark of a kingdom that has been erased. Yeah, in yeah. this massive, great northern kingdom of man that's just gone. And um, living in America, yeah. we don't have too much of that. Right. Um, and I, I get actually sometimes, you know, one of our common interests is Mormonism. Yeah. Mormonism kind of wants and reaches towards some of those ideas right. you know, of ancient uh, Native American kingdoms, so to right. speak. You know, there's something about that that really calls to us. And I think maybe it calls to us uh, uh, Americans in a way that that um, uh, where we really want that <laughs> in a way yeah. that that people who live among, amongst those those ruins maybe are less. Uh, aware of you know yeah. in, in some ways um, yeah. although Tolkien of course himself lived amongst that stuff and and he but he really highlights it for his countrymen right um, but yeah there's there's something about that that longing and, and a sense of loss of something that can never be rebuilt yeah that's just gone right just gone yeah yeah well I have way more questions than we have time for okay um, <laughs> this has been a great conversation we might, yeah. we might have to have a part two someday okay It took a lot to get here, a lot of long nights striving to survive and riding with gold. Life is like a long flight, the destination's heart just warning you. Thinking how'd I get here? I was just in California. It's especially hard to afford this life of wanderlust. I'm moving, ripped from your roots, proving that it's hard to trust. This life that starts from dust, wishing on stars for love, thinking we're too far from dusk. To spend tonight here from Waikiki to Tennessee, the Isle of Capri. You gotta agree, it's awesome seeing the seven seas. But hey, enough of me, coffee your tea is from Hawaii. Tell me how. How you doing with Jubilee idiosyncrasy? It's hard to keep in touch and email here a text there. Searching for the next airline ticket fare. Sorry, gotta go up early to catch the red eye. Cause I have shows in Dubai, Shanghai, and Versailles. California 
in the golden state I stayed for a couple decades and I loved to skate Played around with hip hop Lived in a big house Put loved ones in the ground when they took life's bow You never know how until it comes to you I moved to Tennessee when I was only 22 Made some mistakes, grew up a whole lot Friends filled up my soul when life had knocked me to the ground And then this teacher got top Biggest pain of my life changed up my whole thought Got me orthodox on the beaches of Hawaii Can't let roadblocks get me crying out Why me? Hit the East Coast, chase my dreams to Philly Put my flip once on the shelf That place was too chilly, really man, only the best I didn't do great, the whole event got me grown But I still dropped the plate, cleared the slate in the sunny state called Pascua, Florida Re-evaluating things, changing up the formula All of these departures have taught me many things More lessons ahead, more than ever I am listening That you and me, we would never break the chains I'm so much older, I'm not much wiser Still on my grind, son, I still got that fire Still out in Nashville, I'm still a little crazy Still trying to figure out how Jesus gonna save me From town to city, gutter to house to city It goes so quickly and sometimes it really hits me I'm left behind with mine sign, nobody gets me But I'm dropping dimes in my prime and doing just fine so many people, things, and places Spaces in between the things I've seen I know what grace is So I'll be seeing you when I'll be seeing you, my friend We'll grab a brew or two and then we do it all again Yeah, right. Uh, I have a couple things I want to I want to hit that are kind of fun. Um, first of all, I want to hear a little bit about uh, you know your your signature thing that you're known about is orthodoxy and heterodoxy. Right. You can briefly tell me a little bit about how that came about and uh, let the listener know what that's become. Okay, so orthodoxy and heterodoxy. Um, which is the thing that's most associated with my name with people outside of my immediate life, um, was originally a parish education series that I developed for the parish where I was assistant pastor in in, uh, Charleston, West Virginia. And then I repeated uh, in Emmaus, Pennsylvania when I became pastor. And what it is is a comparison of Orthodox Christianity, which is the faith of the Orthodox Church, with almost every other kind of Christianity and even semi-Christianities that are out there. Uh, Comparison, contrast, this is how they're similar, this is how they're different. And there's a whole section on non-Christian religions like Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and Buddhism and so forth. And um, uh, it was recorded and became a podcast on Ancient Faith Radio. 
Ancient Faith came to me some months in and said, hey, look, we're getting a lot of downloads for this. What would you think about making it into a book? And I said, I think you're crazy. Uh, because I didn't, I, I'm like, like, well, you know, I mean, I was able to sort of rope my prisoners into listening to this, but but really, I mean, really, really? Yeah. But but John Maddox, who's the head of Ancient Faith Radio, uh, Ancient Faith Ministries, he just has a nose for these things. And yeah, um, I, yeah he does. I don't. Um, and he said, no, I think it's going to work. And so I said, well, look, it's your dime. So yeah, sure, I'll spend the time revising right. it, making this material into book material. So fast forward, it gets published in uh, May of 2011, the initial first edition. And, um, you know, it sells really well, especially for kind of a niche publisher book. Yeah. Um, and I become aware over time that it becomes part of, in some ways, the sort of the standard way that... American English speakers are becoming introduced to Orthodoxy or as they're right. on their way into Orthodoxy, yeah. this is kind of maybe the second or third book they buy. Although in some cases I've, I've been told that it's the first encounter that some people have. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so because of that, I, I thought, you know what? So this was originally aimed at Orthodox Christians to kind of talk about other religious groups, but I, maybe I should think about m- making it more explicitly aimed at everybody. Okay. So I thought, yeah. okay, I want to change the tone. Um, there's some things I need to correct uh, as well, <laughs> and uh, a little revisions, whatever. It's, it's always know. good to do. Yeah, right. I mean, let's be, let's face it. I'm, my first effort was not perfect, um, and um, so I decided to start, you know, doing this kind of just once over. And Ancient Faith agreed to it. They said, yeah, sure. You know, when we reprint, you know, we'll, we'll just include these changes. Um, but then some friends of mine um, who were who had a background in Pentecostalism pointed out to me, they're like, you know, Father, you only have three paragraphs on Pentecostalism in your <laughs> current edition. Like, what's your what's what's with that? Uh, yeah. Really, shouldn't there be a little bit more? And so I thought, you know what? There should be a chapter yeah. on Pentecostalism, not three paragraphs at the end of the evangelical. I mean, it's such chapter. a huge movement. It's huge and getting yeah. bigger and bigger. And yeah. bigger and bigger. I'm now arguing it's a kind of fourth variety of Christianity. So Orthodoxy, yeah. Catholicism, Protestantism, and now Pentecostalism. Right. I can see that. Um, and so, so then, you know, it take, and so I redo the podcast, re-record, re-present, and then the new edition of the book just came out in April of this year, and it is now 90% bigger. Yeah. And it's changed in so many ways. Uh, so it's not just bigger, but, but I've shifted a lot in terms of the tone, um, you know, made some corrections. Um, I had it reviewed by a lot of people this time around yeah. that really helped me to flesh out and to correct all kinds of different things, uh, including sending it to people who, who belong to a number of these groups and so they could say, hey, you got that wrong, or hey, no, that's not really what we right. believe, or, you know, whatever. So, you know, fix that. Otherwise, when people from our group read it, they're going to go, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. Right. You know, right. <laughs> he read that somewhere, but didn't actually talk to one of our people, you know, whatever it might be. So that's that's where it, that's where it went. That's the thing that I'm most known for. So Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy is now not only a podcast and a book, but also it's a group blog, which you helped me to edit. Uh, we don't Indeed. post on there as often as we should, <laughs> but um, but it does. But it but it's it's there. And, and that's kind of the thing that I'm most known for. Um, I have another book called An Introduction to God, which is aimed at the that's unchurched. Right. Including the people I call the unchurched, the in church but unchurched. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. People who are in church but kind of not really know why they're there, yeah. or why they think they're there is maybe not the real reason they should be there. Right. Um, and that deals with primal questions like where is God? What's the point in, in going to church? What happens there? What's the point of being moral? Um, was it Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy, the book that made you pull back the camera a little bit and go, 
there needs to be an introduction. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, I, and it's funny. Like I, I, I tell people, I keep writing the same book from just different angles. <laughs> I'm trying to figure yeah. out how to get people to connect with the core of who Jesus Christ is yeah. in whatever way. Like the yeah. new subtitle for Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy is Finding the Way to Christ in a Complicated Religious Landscape. Yeah. You know, right. So, uh, you know, so I, I just keep kind of working on, on these questions of how do we get people to the core stuff. I'm not writing scholarly books. Uh, hopefully my stuff passes scholarly muster. Sure. But I'm not an academic. Yeah. Um, I'm writing stuff for people who just want to be serious about God or maybe who are interested in what being serious about God is about and kind yeah. of want to get some sense of that, you know, even right. if they're not committed themselves. Um, so, so that's what that's what that is, and and uh, God willing, I have another book coming out later this year called Bearing God, which is about Saint Ignatius of Antioch, awesome. who's a very early Christian writer who who knew the Apostle John, maybe the Apostle Peter too, and was John's disciple, and he helped me become Orthodox, and so I kind of want to help introduce people to what what's in his writings, you know. So that's, that's cool. coming, and I have several more that I have plans for. Um, so. Stay tuned. Nice. And tell me about the uh, podcast, that, that the other podcast that you're doing. Right yeah. Now. So I've got so Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy is basically a set that's done, you know, a series. And then I have another podcast called Roads from Emmaus. Emmaus, Pennsylvania is where I live, and it's mostly my Sunday sermons, but also occasionally when I give talks at places, the the, the audio for that will get published in that. And then I have a new podcast that just started this year. Called the Areopagus, A A R E O P A G U S, Areopagus, um, and that's a reference to, uh, to the Book of Acts, where Saint Paul goes up on the Areopagus, Mars Hill, in Athens, uh, Greece, and has this conversation with these philosophers and religious leaders where he talks with them. He initially begins talking with them about how he sees this altar, quote, to the unknown God along the way. And then he uses that image to try to tell them about Jesus Christ, essentially. Okay. And so for me, it's an image of taking something from someone's current religious experience and using that as a way of connecting with that and yeah. trying to connect them yeah. with what I believe you right. know, most. And so the Areopagus is me and a Protestant pastor friend of mine named uh, Michael Lansman. And we, uh, you know, we're both committed to our theological worlds to our churches yeah and and yet we are really good friends like he's yeah. really one of my very closest friends we yeah. hang out a lot coffee watch movies together whatever uh, our, our you know our families get together um and we talk theology and church uh and pastoral life and then and most of the time we have guests come on yeah and so the idea is like, look, we're, we're committed to our, our particular theological sure. worlds, but we don't have to be polemical with each other. And we actually can talk about the hard stuff. Right. Yeah. We don't have to, you know, it's not like, you know, oh, don't talk about politics and religion. No, no. We don't really talk about politics, but we do definitely talk about religion. <laughs> and we're trying to model like, look, yeah. you can actually have a close relationship with somebody from another religious group uh, yeah. and actually talk about religion yeah. and, and it not be bad. Yeah, and so it, and it is based on mutual love for each other, and mutual love for Jesus Christ. We, you know, it, there's no doubt in my mind, even though he's not Orthodox, that he truly loves Jesus yeah. Christ. No doubt in my mind. So I, that's I that's love, what the Areopagus, Areopagus is about. I love listening into, into your guys' conversation, being friends with both of you. I don't know him as well as I know you, but I've had him when I lived in Philadelphia. He came to my house and we had beers together. And yeah. So it's like when I listen in, it's almost like I'm sitting at the table with you. I just don't have a chance to speak up. Yeah. So know? that's what that's exactly what we're trying to do. Where people feel like 
I'm there with them. Yeah. You know, and, and we've had people say that to us. It's been interesting. I mean, this is now my third podcast that I've sure. worked on. Uh, but the most engaged feedback I've ever gotten has been for the Areopagus. That's cool. You know, so there's something about that format that really is just people are just plugged into it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a lot of fun to do. That's great. So are there any um, books you've recently read or a podcast perhaps you've listened to that a non-religious audience might find of interest, even if it is of religious content? Something you can recommend? Um, so, you know, the thing that I'm kind of really especially exploring and into right now is a book called um, How Not to Be Secular by James K.A. Smith. And not is in parentheses, so you can also be read as how, how to be secular. Right. Uh, and what, um, what, what James Smith is doing is he's presenting the ideas of a philosopher named Charles Taylor, who wrote this 900-page book, which I haven't read yet, I'll admit that, called A Secular Age. And what Taylor does in the book is he essentially says um, secularity has gone through three stages and most of the time we think we're in what he calls secular two but we're actually in secular three uh and i won't give away kind of what that means exactly but the reason why i would recommend it even to non-religious audiences is because um it, it it's not saying uh, like there's no kicker at the end saying and so you need to become a christian and invite jesus <laughs> into your heart like it doesn't do that yeah it's yeah. really all about like here's the cultural moment we're actually in and here's how we got there and here's how we can understand what's really going on yeah. despite the way that people talk rhetorically about what's going on right um so i think that's interesting um so even non-religious people can read it and indeed it's a book about how non-religion is a thing even you know yeah, how it's yeah. even a thing and became thinkable. So 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 you know I'm I'm all about the thirty thousand foot view. Like where are we really? Okay. What's going on? Right. So I I, th I think it's a good book to read even if you're not Christian or not religious in any way. Uh, okay. If you just want to understand our world. Um, yeah. And and James Smith's version, you know, how not to be secular, is not long and it's you know um, it's written on a popular level. Yeah. You, you know if you're not used to reading. That kind of thing, you might occasionally need to, to look up a term or whatever, but right. but it's not it's not bad like that. You know, you're not going to sit there and go, oh, I have no idea what this means. You yeah, know, it's not that kind of. Work. My experience with his writing is he he's brilliant, but he's able to communicate. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, he's a communicator. Yeah. That's that's something I aspire to be. On uh, a couple more quick questions, they're just on the lighter note. Okay, uh, we've been sitting here sipping on something. What what are we drinking? We're drinking coffee. <laughs> we are drinking coffee. So there is a you know so this is a brew. It, it does fit it, in. It, it does fit in with it. And, and we both have beards. And, and the reason I chose the word <laughs> brews is I wanted it to be broader than beers. Oh, good. That's good. So All I right. wanted to make room for cider and coffee. Do you think pirates drink coffee? Probably. Probably just first thing in the morning. <laughs> How do you prepare your coffee? I uh, so or drink it. I, I drink say. coffee in many different ways, but most often we're, we're looking at drip coffee with... Uh, I usually put stevia in there okay. because i have a i have a, a glycemic thing and i don't want sugar first thing in the morning right. and also milk typically whole milk um and uh, but i often like to drink you know greek or arabic or turkish coffee depending on yeah. the kind of restaurant i'm in uh i mean it's That's essentially yeah oh yeah and, or ethiopian coffee if i'm with mm. ethiopians yeah always an excellent choice so i really like coffee in many many ways and i even do the corporate coffee thing at starbucks sure you know with the big yeah, blast of sugar and you know whipped cream and whatever <laughs> yeah i will admit to that sometimes after lunch that's pretty much what I what I need. So it's yeah. it's funny. Royal Ruck is years ago. We had a song called the Latte Show, and 
Instead of the late show, the latte yeah, show. Yeah, I, I actually nice. wanted to call it the latte latte show. Yeah, the late late show, yeah. But it the it's second cool. latte got cut by the graphic designer. So oh. we just called it the latte show. <laughs> but the funny thing was when I was just on tour, out of all the songs that could have been requested from ages ago, that was a song that kept coming up. People would be like, why didn't you play the latte show? Dang. So we're scrambling trying to find the instrumental so I can reintroduce it. <laughs> And I need to redistribute the album. The album's available for free online, but I need to put it on iTunes and stuff. People will. I do like lattes. Yeah. I do like lattes. <laughs> I usually will have them put a shot of like almond or something like that in there. Yeah. Um, I recommend, you know, so for your, any of your listeners who enjoy espresso drinks, um, try this when you go. If you have to go to a, a, a decent coffee house, probably Starbucks can't do this for you. <laughs> um, you. Get a latte. Get, you know, with obviously it comes with a steamed milk. And then put a shot of um, uh, almond and a spoonful of honey in there. Mm. And um, yeah, it is. And I first had this at a coffee house called Madeline's in Saratoga Springs, New York, okay. which is actually this gorgeous town that I used to live in um, when I was when I was pretty young. And um, they called it the honeybee. So okay. Madeline's in Saratoga Springs uh, introduced this drink to me. It's on the sweet side. It's on the sweet side. But, but there's something about the flavor of the almond and the honey together in the steamed milk uh, with, the, with the espresso. Just, it's just a winner. That sounds awesome. Yep. Any beard, beard care tips? Beard care tips. I mean, um, Orthodox so, priests are usually known for beards. Uh, we do have beards, typically. Um, I, I, you know, I just, I would just mainly suggest that, um, especially if you're a priest, you know, keep your mustache trimmed, um, because, you know, quite frankly, you, you're you're dealing with a chalice, and uh, mm-hmm. that's very important. Yeah. Actually, most people don't think about that. Yeah. But but priests kind of should. Um, keep that's that mustache point. trimmed. Yep. And apparently split ends are actually a thing with beards when they get long <laughs> enough. So, uh, yeah, I'm not a big, like, super beard groomer guy. I don't use beard oil or whatever. I do, I will admit, once a week or two, I will put conditioner in my beard um, just to kind of, you know, so it's not just super nasty. When do you, I, you, do know. you always get your beard trimmed when you get your haircut? I typically do get my beard trimmed when I get my haircut. Basically just to kind of clean up the stragglers and, yeah. and, and whatever. Yeah. I think that's important. I, I actually didn't do that until like three or four years ago. No. Um, I mean, I can do some of that kind of stuff myself, but sure. a decent barber is going to do a way better job. Yeah. 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 That guy did a good job on the way in. Yeah. We, yeah. You, 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 you picked me up at the airport and then you took me to the hotel, but in the way, on the way in, we went, we stopped at a barber shop and, and <laughs> I think once I finally got in the chair, I was in the chair for like, I was like, uh, it was like 45 minutes, maybe. It was a long time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, this guy is really putting in some time. <laughs> but, it, but the, you know, it was, it, was, it was good. Very precise. I, very I well done. I significantly drained my battery on my phone waiting. Yeah. And there were, like, as soon as we got to the hotel, like, within an hour, three different people said something about my haircut. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wh- real quick, what are, uh, what are your socials? People can find your stuff on I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I mean, if you search my last name, Damick, D-A-M-I-C-K, uh, First name Andrew. I mean, I'm that's that's me. Yeah. There are no other Andrew Damics out there. Um, uh, I'm on yeah Facebook and Twitter and and uh, and I have blogs. You know, Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy is the group blog. Roads from Emmaus is my my solo blog. They're both on Ancient Faith blogs. Um, yeah, th- that's the main stuff. I mean, I'm on Google Plus, but I think I might be the only one left. Okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's probably yeah. five or six other people on it. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, that's 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 the main stuff that I'm on. Okay. 
My, my socials are at Royal Ruckus or at Royal Ruckus Official. Uh, it's one or the other. You just have to figure out which it is. Um, I'm also at Jamie Bennett on Twitter. Yeah, whatever. I'm on things. Yeah, you're on things. Things find me. Yeah, things are um, The last thing we have to talk about to close out the show. Here it is. What is your favorite rap song? <laughs> well, first, a rap song that was a game changer for you. My favorite rap song. <laughs> uh, well, as you well know, for me, rap song is a kind of contradictory phrase. Uh, <laughs> because I don't really regard rap as music. And um, I mean, it's, it's, I, I mean, no disrespect to, to what you are doing. I affirm you, even though I... <laughs> I cannot stand what you, that part of what you're doing. Like for me, rap is like someone shouting in my face. Like that's okay. the experience I have is like someone shouting or screaming in my face. I'm like, so please just turn it off. Um, but that said, <laughs> right? But but I still recognize that there's work, there's artistry going on there. There's you know some creativity. Yeah. Like I get that. I affirm all that. You know. But but I will say this. So 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 probably the last rap song that I had any affectionate feelings for. And once again, I use that phrase rap song advisedly. Uh, is um, um, MC Hammer's uh, Pray. Yeah, right, right, exactly. You got to pray just to make it today, right? And so, like, you know, I can't say I like it, right, or ever liked it, but I, I heard that and I just thought, well, that's great. He's telling people to pray. You know, you can't make it without yeah. prayer. Like, okay, I, I'm, 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 I'm I, I, I can, af- I can affirm that. And of course, you know, uh, MC Hammer now is the Reverend Stanley Burroughs. Yes, he's some kind of jive, yeah. jive preacher or whatever now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so so you know he left all that behind, and maybe someday you will too, James. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just putting that out there. Yeah, my relationship with rap has has never largely been a positive one, but um, but that's okay. You know, I'm not on a quest to uh, destroy it or whatever. Um, well, you you were gracious last night when I turned on Eight Mile on television, and oh yeah, I, I was like, oh, were... is that Eminem? Yeah, <laughs> and you're like. I, wow, good, good, good identification there, Father. <laughs> I was like, I look, I know things. I do know some things. Well, and, and the battle rap scene came on, which probably only reinforced the idea of screaming in each other's faces. Yeah, because they're literally screaming in each other's faces. <laughs> they're literally sitting there insulting each other in rhythmic rhyme. I was like, okay, yeah. well, that's pretty much clearly what I thought this was. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say though, I thought if you were going to come up with a rap song you were going to pull out something by Weird Al because oh. I know how much you love Weird Al I was... wow you know I, the thing is when I think of Weird Al I don't think of rap I think of polka well see I was fully prepared yeah. to do like Amish Paradise or oh, something yeah, <laughs> yeah. or yeah. White and Nerdy but White and Nerdy yeah that's an amazing song actually uh, and, and, and I would even go so far as to call it a song um, <laughs> but, but yeah I love White and Nerdy I love Weird Al I mean I there's just so much to love there yeah which one should we close on? Gray or white and nerdy? Let's do white and nerdy because I think both of us pretty much are white and nerdy. All right, that, so. that works. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Brews, Beers, and Podcasts. I am Jamie Bennett. And, and Shipwrecks. Oh, did, did I say pot, Brews, you, Beers, and Podcasts? Yeah, it was like a Freudian slip or whatever because it is oh, a podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And Shipwrecks. 
Yeah. Pirates? Yeah. I really struggled remembering the name of my podcast. Yeah. Well, it's someday. new. Yeah, it's, it's new. new. It's new. You know, it's new. I, we have people who, who can't pronounce Areopagus. Yeah. <laughs> I can't spell it, apparently. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, there is an option at the end, U.S. or O.S., depending on whether you're going to go more Latin or Greek. We spell it with a U.S. because <laughs> that's, that's what most yeah. people are used to saying. So. Yeah. Well, I'm here with Father Andrew Stephen Damick. And this is Jamie Bennett. Thank you for listening in. And we are going to roll out with White and Nerdy. They see me mowing my front lawn. I know they're all thinking I'm so white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Can't you see I'm white and nerdy? Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. Got skills, I'm a champion of D&D MC Escher, that's my favorite MC Keep your 40 out, just have an Earl Grey tea My rims never spin To the contrary, you'll find that they're quite stationary All of my action figures are cherry Stephen Hawking's in my library My MySpace page is all totally pimped out Got people begging for my top 8 spaces Yo, I know pie to a thousand places Ain't got no grills, but I still wear braces I order all of my sandwiches with mayonnaise I'm a whiz, a minesweeper, and a play for days Once you see my sweet moves, you're gonna stay amazed My fingers moving so fast, I'll set the place ablaze There's no killer rap, I haven't run At Pascal, well, I'm number one Do vector calculus just for fun. I ain't got a gap, but I got a soldering gun. What? Happy Days is my favorite theme song. I can sure kick your butt in a game of ping pong. I'll ace any trivia quiz you bring on. I'm fluent in JavaScript as well as Klingon. I say you see me roll on my Segway. I know in my heart they think I'm white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Can't you see I'm white and nerdy? Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. I like to roll with the gangsters. Although it's apparent I'm too white and I've been browsing, inspecting X-Men comics, you know I collect them. The pins in my pocket, I must protect them. My ergonomic keyboard never leaves me bored. Shopping online for deals on some media. I edit Wikipedia. I memorize Holy Grail really well. I can recite it right now and have you R-O-T-F-L-O-L. I got a business doing websites. While my friends need some code, who do they call? I do HTML for them all. Even made a homepage for my doll. Yo, I got myself a fanny pack. They were having a sale down at the Gap. In my nights with a roll of bubble wrap. Pop, pop, hope no one sees me getting freaky. I'm nerdy and the extreme and whiter than sour cream. I was in a V club and glee club and even the chess team. Only question I ever thought was hard. What do I like, Kirk, or do I like Picard? Spend every weekend at the Renaissance Fair. Got my name on my underwear. They see me strolling. They laughing. And rolling their eyes because I'm so white and nerdy. Just because I'm white and nerdy. Just because I'm white and nerdy. All because I'm white and nerdy. Holy cow, I'm white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. I'm just too white and nerdy. Look at me, I'm white and nerdy.